ago this past Friday, the junior and senior youth, we actually got together and we did the same activity together. It's, uh, it's a game called Bigger or Better. I don't know if anyone's heard of that game before. It's, uh, you break the kids up in their teams, groups of four or five, and you give them the same item, a small item. This time around it was a paper clip. So you give them a paper clip and you send them off through the streets of Halliburton to go door to door to try and trade that paper clip for something bigger or better. It's an interesting exercise. The first dynamic is going door-to-door in Halliburton at 7.30, 8 p.m. on Friday night. I don't know if you can imagine. Some people are in different states of mind than others. One team was able to trade their paperclip for a dog dish. Another traded for a a brand-new pair of winter boots, size 13, and they're going to be great next winter or maybe next week for me. Perhaps the oddest trade came when one team traded uh, for a half, I was going to say a half-empty kale, but it's a half-full jar of uh, prune juice that had a 50% off label on it and expired in January 2014. So that was an interesting trade. But then they went and took that prune juice to the next house, and they traded that for a human being. It's a true story, right? <laughs> they came back with a guy, so I was like, all righty. He was a youth, too, which is good, so I don't know. <laughs> um, but the game illustrates how you can start with something of very little value, and just by trading and trading and trading, um, you're able to get something with more value. And at the end of the night, we wrapped up and came back to the church, and uh, I talked about how we're able to make this trade with Jesus, right, this ultimate trade, where we trade something that has no value at all, our own mortal bodies, and we trade it for his eternal life when we accept him as Lord and Savior. And the thing is, no matter how much personal value we place in our life, Scripture tells us that whoever wants to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for Jesus will keep it. And you see, this trade that we have with Jesus, the only trade He accepts is our everything in exchange for Him. It's the biggest and best trade ever made, and and God did that because He loves us. Now, one team made a trade with a 92-year-old lady who had to take off her oxygen mask in order to talk to them. And she gave them this plate. I didn't bring the plate in. It's getting fumigated still, I think. But it, it was this gaudy-looking, nicotine-stained, plastic plate with a picture of a dog on it. True story, right? Where is that plate now? Is it hanging in your house, Steve? <laughs> but she told the team, she said, this is a very valuable plate. And she said, uh, it's worth a lot, right? I guess the key is it was worth a lot to her. The cool thing was the team didn't trade that plate for something else. They brought that back to the church, not wanting to trade that thing to dishonor that woman, which I thought was kind of cool. And another team managed to trade for this. For those of you who are uh, 70s music aficionados, you recognize the gorgeous hair of Engelbert. Engelbert Humperdinck, and uh, especially for you, the album's called. And while the financial value of this album is, is arguable, the segue value it for, of, of it for me today is great value because it's going to be where I'm going to launch my sermon from. His track number one, especially for you, by the way, he's got a nice big gaudy cross on his chest there on his white look with the cowboy boots. But track one says, After the Lovin'. And I've stolen that as the name of my sermon today as we're going to go with Jesus after the loving. Before we get any further, let's just open in a word of prayer. Hey, God, good morning. Thanks for another day in your creation. Thanks for the uh, 
the sun poking out, God, and we can feel that the spring is just a few weeks away. And, uh, God, just be with us today as we get into your word. Just reveal something that we haven't noticed before, God, and just convict us in our hearts of where we need to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do love this time of year. Um, not this season that we're in, which, for those of you who don't know, it's late winter is what we call it here in Alberta. Spring is something that happens for a very, very short amount of time. But I like this time of year after Easter because it's a great time uh, to say to God, okay, what's next? As Christians today, we live on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, and that's a huge part of our faith and where we are going, but it's not the end. And the what's next in Scripture is incredible. And I'm not just saying that because I used to preach at a Pentecostal church, but I'm saying it because the what next for humanity after Jesus paid the debt for sin and closed this chasm between man and God, the next thing was really mind-blowing. It was a game-changer. This time of year, the two months following Easter, are almost like a period for us as Christians to catch our breath and take inventory of where we're at in our lives and to refocus our lives in one direction under one command. And it's the last command that's attributed to Jesus in the Gospel of John, and it has that power to live on, not frozen in time for one specific time and place for one person, but for every single person who would call upon the name of Jesus from then until now. This passage of Scripture is also great this time of year because it takes place on a beach. How many of you would rather be on a beach this morning, right? Uh, Living in Halliburton County, we need a good beach story this time of year. Not all of us are as fortunate as, let's say, oh, uh, Patty Babineau in the back corner and haven't spent literally weeks on a beach this winter. So it's nice to head to the beach now. We're on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's early morning, a very comfortable 22 degrees Celsius, sunny and a high of 32. The fishermen have gone back to their nets. They've had another night of no fish. And Jesus is on the shore, and they don't recognize it's him. And he says, throw your net over there. And they catch 153 big fish. And Peter says, it's the Lord. And he jumps overboard and swims to shore. The water nice and refreshing. And there Jesus has already prepared this wonderful shoreman's breakfast, fish cooked on hot coals and some bread. And they eat together. But as I said earlier, the sermon title is After the Loving, so we want to go to the verses immediately following the reinstatement of Peter. Peter has just answered three times that he loves Jesus, and Jesus has said to him, Feed my sheep. And then we get this in John, the 21st chapter, starting at verse 18. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. He says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Now the first part of this exchange I just want to look at. 
It says Jesus tells Peter the death that he would suffer to glorify God. And tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want equality to, to, to die the same way that his Lord Jesus did. Now I want to take us one step beyond the actual context, the time of this uh, scripture, and actually look at it and see what it does it say to us. I would argue that the same rings true for us in this way. When we were younger, before we came to know Christ, we did what we wanted, and we went where we wanted, and we had nothing holding us accountable. You see, but when we first came to Christ, we were immature, and we perhaps we blazed our own trails. But now as we grow older, with our lives in submission to Christ, we allow Him to dress us. We allow Him to lead us, and it's not always where we want to go, but it's where He wants us to go. Just as Jesus said, Peter, follow me, we are to follow Jesus. This Greek word, akalutheo, means to follow after one, or to accompany, to join one. This command in this final recorded conversation in the Gospel of John takes us all the way back in time, three years to when Jesus first called Peter. Now, in the beginning of all four Gospels, we have the same story being told about John the Baptist. He's the one that was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. And this guy is out there preaching this message of repentance. He says, turn away from your wicked ways and turn back to God. And people are coming to be baptized by him. And he says, I will baptize, I baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And people are following John. Scripture says that John the Baptist had disciples. And his disciples were listening to what he had to say. He said, I'm not the guy. But the guy is coming. He's actually here right now. And his disciples are waiting. And it says in the first chapter of John that John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on that phrase, on that recognition by John the Baptist, two of his disciples start following Jesus. And Jesus asks them, What do you want? And they say, Where are you staying? And Jesus says, Come and you will see. And they go, and it says they stay with him the whole day. Can you imagine that? Their first reaction to seeing this prophecy alive right in front of them. The Messiah here. Their teacher saying, there he is, the Lamb of God. And they say to Jesus, um, where are you staying at? Can we hang out with you? Right? And Jesus says, sure, come on, let's go. And one of them, Andrew, goes and gets his brother, Simon, and he brings him and he says, we found him. We found the Christ, and he brings him to Jesus, and Jesus says, Hey, Simon, I'm going to call you Rock from now on. And the other gospel accounts tell us how Peter left his life of catching fish to take on this challenge of catching men. The interesting part about these first followers of Christ, just because of what they've been taught, someone that they had trusted had said to them, That's him. They follow Jesus. So was it because of what Jesus had done? He didn't have this great body of work. He had the work of this man who had been out there preparing the way for the Lord, who said, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And because they trusted John the Baptist, 
They highly valued his opinion. They listened. They took it as truth, and their faith journey began right there. And so as preachers today, we have this, now in this time, 20 centuries later, we have this ability, this God-given authority, as we share the good news about who Jesus is, to say, hey, do you trust me? Because this guy, Jesus, is real. Believe it. Okay? Call upon his name. See what happens in your life. Part of what we do is, as those who are called to evangelize is to transfer this belief, this belief that we are absolutely so sure of because of what we have experienced and what we've learned from Scripture to those who may not have experienced what we have. Everyone who hears the message must then decide what they're going to do with the invitation to follow Christ. No one here can say they have not heard the message or the call of Christ. It says in Scripture that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call on one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Just as John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the Lord, we who are called today must stay on the message, which is pointing people to Christ as the one who the Scriptures have spoken about and promised. He has come. John the Baptist is telling people to turn back to God, and Jesus shows up at the right time, and people begin to follow him. And here's the thing about following Jesus in this limited capacity. Eventually, our human nature will be allowed to get the better of us, and we'll start to have doubts, or we'll start to demand signs. We'll get captured in these questions and arguments that have very little to do with, with who Jesus is and what he's done, and more about the disbelief and ignorance of others those who try to mislead us, who twist Scripture without even acknowledging its authority, they're going to try and devise these clever schemes to knock those who are in the beginning steps of their faith journey off the path. And 2,000 years after Jesus came, shouldn't there be plenty of doubting and asking for signs today? Why wouldn't there be? Even as Jesus walked around the countryside performing miracles and teaching like no one had taught before, there were people who were following who fell away from him. Even with all this proof staring them right directly in their face, they still questioned if Jesus was in fact the real deal. You see, our human heart alone, without any outside assistance, will constantly point us back to our sinful nature, even if that nature is causing us pain or harm, because this is how we are wired. How about following Jesus when we don't get the outcome that we want, or it isn't what we expected. A great passage from Scripture is involving John the Baptist sitting in jail. And he's wondering, okay, why hasn't the Messiah claimed his right as the king of the Jews and freed us from Rome and got me out of this cell? What's going on? So he calls a couple of disciples. I guess he used some sort of smuggled-in carrier pigeon into the jail and... Uh, he says, can you go ask Jesus this? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now remember, this is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Remember, John? And John, in his humanness, asks, should we be waiting for someone else? Because what I'm seeing doesn't line up with what I was expecting from you. 
Those disciples of John get this message back to Jesus, and Jesus says, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, period. Any more questions? But John hadn't got what he wanted. What he expected, even after Jesus had done all these things and more. Unmet expectations and doubt were there back then and they're still here 2,000 years later. Threatening us. Testing our faith. What are your unmet expectations? Were you praying for healing for someone who passed away? Did we pray for God to help us with our finances and then suffered a financial loss? Is our marriage falling apart and we wonder, God, where are you? Did something tragic and inexplicable happen in our world that made us say, where were you, God? You see, our expectations about what we think God should do and when He should do it might cause people to turn and walk away from God. It's happened before. Another reason people were falling away and stopped following Jesus back in His day was tough teaching. You see, they were being taught things that were counterculture. The people who Jesus was teaching, they called themselves sons of Abraham, sons of Moses. And Jesus was like, you don't get it. They were prophets and they were pointing to me. And unless you change your viewpoint, you're going down a path of destruction. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And when Jesus said, I am, he was taking on the person of God. And that was tough teaching. They called it blasphemy. And the rulers, the, the spiritual leader that day, tried to kill him. But others, you see, just drifted away. You see, even before he sat down with his disciples at the Last Supper and gave them this first communion, this observance to do in remember, remembrance, remembrance of him, he had already spoken to people in advance of that. And he said, unless people ate his flesh and drank his blood, they'd have no part in the kingdom of God. And it says at that point, many turned away. What part of Jesus' teaching do you find hardest today? How about love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the cheek and take another shot. Give up your coat if someone wants your shirt. Love others like you love yourself. You see, tough teaching hasn't gone away. It's threatening disciples today. What about pardoning the sinner when their sin deserves death? Sure, we like that idea if we picture ourselves as the sinner. What about this idea of not judging others? What about forgiving those who cause us pain and who have wronged us and doing it not with a simple, I forgive you, but by a moving in the heart, detaching that Detaching that hurt from that person and restoring that relationship at all costs and doing it as many times as you need to do until you can truly honestly say, I forgive you like that offense never happened. Because that's how God forgives us. When Jesus died for the sin of the world, He wasn't just covering up that sin. He wasn't just making that, that sin, leaving it there for later or masking it. His blood wasn't being used like the blood of animals just to cover up the sin Scripture said His blood was shed once, and it was shed to take away the sin of the world. So what is the sin it's not taken away? Well, Jesus tells us in the week before He went away, as He's pouring this incredible teaching 
out into his disciples, he says, there's but one sin now that man will be judged for. He says, the Holy Spirit is coming. And he will convict the world that they're wrong in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he says, they're wrong about sin because people do not believe in me. The sin of unbelief, the sin of refusing to acknowledge who Christ is through all the signs that are there. All these things are recorded in Scripture to increase our faith. A man will be judged solely on whether or not he accepted Christ in his life. And people say, what about being a good person? And what happens to those who don't accept them? What kind of love is that, God? See, questions over tough teachings still lead wannabe disciples astray. Another barrier in following Jesus is it's just not convenient right now. I get what you're saying, Jesus, but I just need to do this first or take care of my business before I get to yours. Didn't they approach him and say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, but first I've got to take care of the affairs of my house. Jesus said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Others said, let me just go talk to my family. You know, Jesus, family first, right? Jesus says, follow me. Someone says, let me go bury my dad. He says, let the, let the dead go and bury their dead. Maybe you don't get this. Maybe you don't understand this, but it's about following me. You see, in your mind, in our mind, there's never going to be a perfect time to give up our everything and follow Jesus. The excuses are still around today. They are just more complicated, made complicated by the busyness of this world and all the demands that we have as citizens of this country, as taxpayers, as homeowners, professionals, coaches, caregivers, parents. The list goes on and on. The timing is just completely all wrong and not perfect, and it seems too hard to fathom, so people just walk away. Then we come to Peter. Peter told Jesus, let's go there and I'll die with you. And Jesus says, die with me, rock? You're going to deny me three times tonight. And what did Peter do? He did exactly what we would have done if given the chance. Under our own power, when our survival instincts kicked in, we would have told those people anything just to keep out of trouble and stay alive. This passage of Scripture where Jesus gets to hang, uh, Peter gets to hang out with Jesus again, it's sweet because Jesus says, are we good? Do you love me? And Peter says, yep. And Jesus asks him again, and Peter says, yep. And Jesus asks him a third time, and it says, Peter's upset because he asked him three times, but he says, yep. And he tells him how he's going to suffer this death. And immediately afterward, they're sharing in this special moment, walking down the beach together. And what does Peter do? He looks back, and he sees the beloved disciple following him, and he says, Okay, Jesus, what about him? And Jesus says, What's it to you? What's it to you whether he stays alive until I return? You must follow me. And those words scream at us from Scripture, right? What's it to you? You must follow me. In spite of what you think so-and-so should be doing. It's not about what your neighbor is doing, and, and if you're so certain it's not what God would have them do. 
We can't have what others are doing be a stumbling block to us taking up our cross and following Jesus. Or more specifically, we can't let what God is doing in someone else's life prevent us from following Jesus. Never mind what God has planned for Jim Taylor. And if you think it should be something else, what's it to you? What's it to you what God's working out in Jim Taylor's life? You must follow Jesus. Yeah, but, but nothing, right? It's not about what you think should be going on. It's about following Jesus. You must follow me. But here's the thing, right? We still don't get it. Like, how do we follow Jesus better than those disciples who were with him for three years, right? And saw all these miracles and all these things performed. That there was only one explanation, right? That he was the Son of God. How can we follow Jesus better than Peter, who spent all that time with him and fell away? Or better than John the Baptist, who asked, should we be expecting another? Jesus too, right? Should we expect another? There's no Jesus too, but wait, there is, right? Scripture tells us we have another Jesus, and he's the promise. He's what's spoken of through the prophet. And John the Baptist And what Jesus said himself, he said, I'm going away and it is good because I will ask the Father to send the Spirit and he will be with you and he will be in you. I am in the Father, the Father's in me and I'll be in you. This is the game changer I talked about earlier. We talked last week about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And the why and the how was left out. But we need it now because it's God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. It's God in you as you follow Jesus. You see, God knew that under our own power, this faith would end up dead. You see, with the destruction of Jerusalem, the first century oppression of Christians, everything that's gone on through history, a belief in something this crazy, based solely on its merits, it just would have been stomped out. But God's Spirit moving among people and living in people, that could have a chance. That can have a chance, right? So famine couldn't kill it. Disease couldn't kill it. War couldn't kill it. Genocide couldn't kill it. Terrorism's not going to kill it. Nothing can kill it. The Spirit of God goes on and on and on. The Holy Spirit takes us beyond belief. Okay? It takes us beyond head knowledge. It takes everything into the spiritual realm. It's something beyond science, beyond reason, beyond logic. See, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it took a group of huddled up, hiding men who were full of fear and trepidation and confusion and it brought them out of that little room and gave them power so that when they spoke the truth about Jesus, the Spirit was convicting those who heard it about the truth. Jesus said before he went away, he said, the Spirit will lead you into all truth. And the people who heard that responded, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for remission of sins. The promise is for you and your descendants, and all who are far off, which is us, right? It says 3,000 came to Jesus that day, and the book of Acts tells more and more big stories. The the stories get big because God is big, and there's nothing going to stop his message from going out, no matter how hard we try. We have the Spirit today guiding those who have repented of their ways, the ways of this world, and have turned to God. Those who decide to accompany God, to to join His group. You see, we follow Jesus today, and He accompanies us through the power of His Spirit. And that's remarkable. That's life-changing. 
As you follow Jesus today, ask yourself this very important question as I close. Is your belief in Jesus something that began and has grown because of the preponderance of evidence you had available? Did it seem like there was enough information for you to make that decision? Did you respond to that information and say, I believe? Well, Scripture says even the demons believe in one God. That doesn't mean they're following Christ. Did you respond to this call that you heard so clearly in your life through circumstances, through people that God has surrounded you with, to actually say, yes, Lord, I believe? You see, after the loving, after we realize that God loves us and God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, and that we love God, Will we repent of our ways of trying to master Christianity by trying to do things our way, trying to love each other under our own power, using our ways to try and follow Him? Can we let His Spirit guide us? This is a watershed moment in your life if you've never done this before, but if you don't think you have the Spirit of God living inside you right now directing you, helping you, comforting you, you need to pray to receive Him today. See, you might have been studying God's Word for years. And you might have got, asked God's help to get you through tough situations. But you've, if you've never asked God to come into your heart and take up residence inside of you, now is the time. If God's Spirit is nudging you today, if He's saying, just let me in, just let Him in. Now, if He's in you, the question I have is, is he in the driver's seat? And are you following his leading in your life? Or have you put Jesus in the trunk because you think you can do it all yourself? Jesus is saying to you right now through his spirit today, follow me through your doubts, through the inconvenience, through your struggles, in spite of what he's doing in anyone else's life. God wants to be not just with you, but in you. He wants to accompany you as He leads you through this life. Will you let Him today? Let's pray. God, we thank You for uh, Your Word. We thank You that uh, we have this, such a clear indication, God, that, that You came in the form of man, that You came in the form of Jesus Christ, God. And what You did on that cross, Lord, the, the gap that You closed between us and You, God, uh, unbelievable. But this sending the Spirit, Lord... Wow, that's the game changer, God. We thank you that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, God. We pray for people in this congregation right now, today, that can feel your Spirit just nudging them, that can feel it just starting to intrude into them. God, we just pray that those people would just soften their hearts and allow that Spirit to just come into them, God. That they would pray to receive you today. And that, God, as they receive you, they would start to follow you on a day-to-day -day basis, God. It's not about rules and regulations and how well we master things, God. It's about how well we let you master us. And so, God, master us today. Be our leader today, God, so that we can follow you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if the praise, praise.